If you look around, I think you can agree with me that we live in a world that desperately needs transformation, healing, and change. Our news seems to be dominated by things like school shootings, serial bombings, and political outrages. And so whether we are lamenting the growing immorality of our culture or we are despising its lingering moralism, across the spectrum we can agree something is wrong. Our politics are so divided and petty and hateful, we can't even have a civil conversation about the weather, much less deal with serious issues in a grown-up manner. As we look around here in our ultra-modern age that we think was so awesome in 2018, what do we see? We still see things like racism, poverty, addiction, abuse, disease, disability, loneliness, despair, and death. And we look at our own families and our friends, our coworkers and our schoolmates, even our own lives, what do we see? We see broken relationships and unhealthy habits, chronic illnesses and damaging behaviors, life-dominating addictions, physical, mental, and emotional suffering, fatigue, financial insecurity, isolation, and just a feeling of insignificance. So not only does the world need transformation, when we are honest with ourselves, most of us desperately need transformation in our own lives and relationships. So what if I tell you that that transformation has already begun? That everything that is needed for healing and reconciliation and change is already available. We just need to embrace it. This is the truth of the matter. This is what we are celebrating this morning as we, as we celebrate quite literally the day the world changed. We're celebrating that a dead man came back to life and opened the doorway for the rest of us to follow into eternal life. We celebrate that death is not final, that life will be renewed and perfected for eternity. We celebrate that what surrounds us as we look out around us in our neighborhood, in our, in our homes, in our workplace, in our schools, that what we see when we see, when we look around, that what surrounds us, right, the good and the bad, the pleasures and the pains, the milestones and the monstrosities, the triumphs and the tragedies, that these things are not as good as it gets. Today, we celebrate hope and peace, and reconciliation and redemption and renewal, the things that seem to elude us in our sort of hyperkinetic ultra-stressed-out, stretched-out, angry, unforgiving, hateful, lonely, and violent 21st century lives. Today we celebrate the turning point of all human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we are looking today at the events that took place on the evening of Easter Sunday, a time when Jesus, who had recently been dead but was now very much alive, appeared to his bewildered disciples as Bobby read to us from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and 49. And this passage that she read, these words that she's read, address two key questions about what took place that day. The first of which is, what just happened? Right, The disciples, when we come to this passage, they are in turmoil. They had 
They've, they've locked themselves in a room. They're in fear, but they've just been on an emotional roller coaster for a week. I mean, just the Sunday before this, they had entered into Jerusalem in triumph. They were alongside Jesus as he rides in, and, and they are, think they are on the cusp of a new golden age for Israel. And that Jesus was going to be that king who was going to be leading that new age, and that they were going to be the right-hand man, if you will, of the king. And then everything from their perspective went terribly wrong, and Jesus was arrested, and he was tried, and he was sentenced to die. And then, and then we see most of the men in the group run away. They run away in fear, where, where most of the women, at least, or some of the women, will follow. They have the courage to follow, and they watch in their own eyes the brutal execution of Jesus. As he was nailed to a Roman cross, and he suffered unimaginable pain. And they saw him die. And Jesus was dead, and they saw him buried. And, and this left the disciples with no idea what to do next. They just invested three years of their life in this man, and he was gone. They had no hope, and yet, on the other hand, they just felt like they couldn't go home either. And then came hour after hour of just, just a, a whirlwind of emotions, as you might imagine. They go through the grieving and the, the, the loss of identity as they, they experience fear and sorrow, doubt and dread, confusion, mourning, terror. It's just constantly cycling through. Then Sunday morning, reports started coming in. Jesus wasn't dead anymore. Right, first it was from a group of the women. They'd gone back to where they had seen Jesus buried, and they discovered that the tomb was empty. And there were angels there, and the angels said Jesus had risen from the dead. And then later on we see that, that Jesus appears to Peter privately. And so here they are, they're locked in this room, they're talking about all these things going on, and, and two of the disciples, you know, knock on the door, they burst in, they're talking about how they have walked and talked with Jesus on the road to this town called Emmaus, and so it's really just, they're in turmoil, and here again, they're in this room, the door is locked, according to other scripture, and verse 36 reports, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Okay, as you might imagine, what ensued was not peace. Right? The door was locked. All of a sudden, there's a dead guy standing there. They're freaked out completely. Right? What we see is terror and doubt. They can't even comprehend their own senses, their eyes and ears. They don't believe what they are experiencing. Scripture says, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? So here in their turmoil and their disbelief, Jesus calms them down and proves to them beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is indeed truly the Jesus they knew, truly Jesus of Nazareth, truly the Jesus who was crucified, but now fully alive. He encourages them to take a look at it to verify that he's not an imposter, right? Look at his hands, look at his feet, the distinctive marks of the nails. It's hard to hide that. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He invites them to touch him. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Right? They are able to touch him and recognize this is not a ghost among them. Right? This is not some 
phantasm. This is a human being alive. To make it abundantly clear, he is completely alive. He, he is in no way a ghost or a spirit. He, he eats dinner. Have you seen anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And so as he does these things, their doubt turns to joy. Now, they are still bewildered. They are overwhelmed. They have no categories in their mind to understand dead person now alive. And so they are struggling to process the unbelievable, and yet it is clearly true that their dead friend and master is standing beside them very much physically alive. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't there for a social visit. He wasn't there to make them feel better about themselves. Rather, he immediately turned the conversation to the critical question, a question that remains just as applicable to us 2,000 years later this morning as it was for those disciples that evening. What now? Why does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter matter? And what should we do about it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ completely changed the trajectory of the world and of all mankind. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus fulfilled God's good plan to bring restoration and redemption to a broken world filled with broken people whom he loves passionately. This is what Jesus explains to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. The repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. The Bible tells one big story. This is the point that Jesus is making here. It explains that God lovingly created this world and he made it very good, peaceful, beautiful, harmonious, creative. God lovingly crafted mankind, made us in his image to have a relationship with him, to walk with him and talk with him. And we messed it up. We messed it up, falling into sin and rebellion, because even when we are literally given everything, we still want more, don't we? There is never enough. Our ancestors were not satisfied with having everything. They insisted on trying to make themselves like God himself, disobeying the one rule they were given. And so we see the consequences of this rebellious fall into sin every time we look around, wherever we look. Wherever we see suffering and sorrow and say, how can this be, this is how. All of creation was twisted and distorted by the fall into sin. Our bodies and our minds, our emotions and our relationship, our, our work and our family life, they were all damaged by sin. From the fall came the things we lament in this world, things like disease and disaster and death. And each succeeding generation, we are all drawn to rebellion. We make sin our own. Because from the very first, er, earliest ages of life, we are selfish 
and manipulative and hurtful and grasping. And if you doubt this, spend more time around little children in all of their cuteness. We don't have to teach them the bad stuff, do we? They know it. We are never satisfied. We always want more of whatever it is that drives us, whether it is more money or power or respect or recognition or safety or comfort or pleasure, whatever it is. We always want more. And all of our self-promotion, our arrogance, our selfishness, our viciousness, our anger, our malice, our greed, our addiction, our obsession with pleasure, all of this separates us from the beautiful, righteous, holy, glorious, and just God who created each of us in His image, who desires for us to be in relationship with Him. Our rebellion and our sin separates us from Him because He is perfect, and in His perfection, He cannot permit our sin into His presence. There is no way we can do enough good deeds, be a good enough person, think enough positive thoughts, or give enough money to charity to ever earn our way into God's presence because His standard is perfection. And each and every one of us, no matter how good we try to be, still falls badly short of this mark. And so if we are left to our own devices, we have no hope of ever connecting with our Creator God. And yet, our God is also merciful and gracious, and He loves each of us more than we could ever imagine and more than we could ever deserve. And so despite all of our messes and our mistakes, God still loves us. He still loves you. He still loves me. He loves everyone we encounter in this world, no matter how unlovable they are to us. And so before time began, before anyone ever fell into sin, God had a plan to reconcile His perfect justice on one hand that could not tolerate sin and His limitless mercy and love. A plan to restore His creation and to restore us back to Him as we were meant to be. And all of Scripture from Genesis chapter 3 onward points to that plan, describes that plan, reveals that plan, advances that plan until the moment came to change the world on Easter Sunday. God's promise from the very earliest pages of the Bible is that He would one day send a Savior, a perfect Messiah, who would bring about restoration by sacrificing Himself. And so the Old Testament introduces us to hundreds of rules that would be required to be followed if we were ever going to be good enough to enter the presence of a perfect and holy and righteous God. And there was no way that anybody could ever follow all of them. And so they prepared us for a Savior. It also introduces a very complicated and bloody system of animal sacrifices that grosses us out today to help us understand just how deadly serious sin is. That because it causes spiritual death within us, a penalty has to be paid. And that penalty requires something innocent to die. And all of this is part of God's unfolding plan of redemption and restoration and transformation because this unique and eternal king that he's going to send was going to suffer and die as the last sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate and infinite sacrifice 
required to redeem mankind from the mess that we keep getting ourselves into ever deeper. This is Jesus. This is the eternal Son of God, the fulfillment of all Scripture. God taking on a human nature and human flesh, living the perfect life that we keep trying to live and failing. This is Jesus who performed countless miracles and spoke the very words of God, things that many people are willing to celebrate, but we need to understand that those things are instead pointing us to his ultimate purpose, that he ultimately came at Christmas so he could die on Good Friday and rise from the dead on Easter Sunday. But because Jesus was God and is God, because he is perfectly holy, because he never sinned, He could go to the cross on Good Friday as that last perfect, infinite sacrifice required to pay the penalty for all of the sins of the world, including yours and mine, all of our guilt, all of our shame, paid for once for all. On that cross, Jesus bore all of God's rightful anger towards our rebellion. On that cross, Jesus paid the price for for the words you shouldn't have said to your spouse for the thing you shouldn't have done to your friend, for the thoughts you shouldn't have thought, for the things you shouldn't have looked at. For anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross made forgiveness possible for everything that you have ever done. Everything. And everything that you're ever going to do that's against God's good plan for your lives. And we simply have to believe it and ask God's forgiveness, and He is faithful to forgive everything. And we must never forget that. Because of the cross, we have forgiveness and can once again enter the presence of our perfect, holy, and righteous Creator, the one who loves us and who offers this forgiveness by His grace. And it's because of the resurrection, because of what happened on Easter Sunday, that we not only have confidence that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough to pay for our sins, to clear the debt. We have confidence that every believer in Jesus Christ will live forever in the presence of God. That we have full assurance, because of what took place on Easter Sunday, we have full assurance that this is not as good as it gets. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, we can trust Him when He says in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because Jesus rose from the dead, every single follower of Christ will also rise from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, what we so often, even in the Christian church, think of as the end of things. Death is not the end of things. It's really the beginning of something far greater and more beautiful and more transcendent and glorious than we can ever imagine. Because Jesus rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
The world changed that day for every single person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that Jesus tells his disciples to proclaim in verse 47, that whatever is in someone's past is gone through faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever mistakes we are burdened with are gone through faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his nation to, in his name to all nations. That this is good news for everyone. And the resurrection of Jesus means that we have a mission to do. It means that there is a greater purpose for our lives than we ever imagined, that there is more to life than just being a good kid, getting good grades in school so you can go to the right college, so you can get a decent job for 40 or 50 years and hope that you'll be able to retire, have a little fun along the way, maybe raise a family. If you're lucky enough to retire, then ride off into sunset and to death, you know, live the American dream. In Jesus Christ, we are told there is something far greater and more significant in our lives than that. That we have the best and most important mission in the world because this good news of Jesus Christ is meant to be shared with everyone, to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. This is actually what we're going to start digging into on Sunday morning starting next Sunday, this good news and how it is good news for everyone. Not just the churchy, not just the appropriate, not just the ones we approve of, everyone. You see, this good news is not just restricted to the, the right sort of people, because there's no such thing as the right sort of people. We're all a mess. <laughs> we just don't always realize it. Right? We are all sinners, and none of us can stand in the presence of the God of the universe on our own merits. We are all desperately and totally dependent on the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we are charged with proclaiming this good news of resurrection to everyone, right? Rich and poor, male and female, young and old, black and white, Anglo, Asian, Latino, and every other group you can think of, whether you are you know, American citizen, whether you are immigrant, whatever your background, this good news is for you. And as he stands in their midst that first Easter, Jesus tells his disciples that they are witnesses. Right? They are witnesses to his life and his death, to his miracles and his teaching, to his burial and his resurrection. They were going to receive power from God to accomplish their mission. Verses 48 and 49, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This promise, this power of God is the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit, God Himself, given to each and every believer in Jesus Christ. When we look at the disciples, the Spirit utterly transformed them. Right As this passage began, they are locked in a room, confused, in turmoil. And yet they are utterly transformed, right? They are no longer limited by their fears and by their own abilities. These are witnesses who are empowered by the presence of God in their hearts. And they are transformed more and more into the likeness and character of Jesus Christ. And whether you are a believer or not, if you have any appreciation for history, you know that these people turned the world upside down. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have that same power within us for the same purpose. 
When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into us, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ within us, not just to help us become the best we, me we could be, to turn the world upside down, to bring the transformation this world needs, the transformation that we lament that it needs and think is somebody else's responsibility. Ephesians 1.13 proclaims, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is every single believer in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, then within you resides the very Spirit of Christ, and he is empowering you to do extraordinary things, world-transforming things in the name of Jesus. And maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in the elementary school across the street. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's on the other side of the earth. But our mission is to live lives that glorify God and point people to Jesus Christ. Lives where we are passionate for the growth of God's kingdom and the goodness that comes with that. The care and the salvation of every single person who has been created in the image of God. Regardless of how much alike us they are or how completely different from us they may be. It is a sad truth that our world is full of ugliness, as I said at the beginning. Our reality includes dictators, school shooters, abusers, terrorists, white supremacists. It includes genocide, oppression, hateful discourse in every arena of life, and a, and a culture that just seems to celebrate death in every way imaginable. Ours is a world that needs transformation, but there is only one thing that can provide true lasting transformation, and that is the reconciliation, the redemption, and the regeneration that is available through Jesus Christ. And so as we celebrate Christ's resurrection today, I do not want you to walk away from here unaffected. Right? As you leave from here to hunt eggs and then stuff yourself full of, you know, ham and fall into a, you know, food coma... Take your nap, but don't resume your ordinary life tomorrow. Because the world needs this truth. Right? Every one of us has friends, and we have neighbors, and we have relatives, and we have co-workers, and we have classmates who need this truth. They need to know that there is hope for transformation and renewal. That there is hope for healing where there's been only suffering. They need to know that this world is not all that there is because Jesus rose from the dead. They need to know that there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus for everything they have ever done. That there is healing available in the name of Jesus for everything they have ever suffered. And we need to remember that there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus for everything that we have done. There is healing available in Jesus for everything that we have suffered. The world needs to know that there is power that transforms lives. That, there, that every person near or far, friend or stranger, they all need to know that there is a power that can heal broken cultures, broken relationships, and broken lives. And that power is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrate this morning. 
Right, this is what we can and, and should be looking to to provide us joy in the darkest and driest and, and loneliness, those, those desperate seasons of our life. And as we embrace this joy, as we live it, as we celebrate it, as it fills us and transforms us, my prayer is that each of us would live a life that's described in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. You do it with gentleness and respect. Right? We live in a world that is messed up. Christ transforms us and allows us to live in a very, very different way. A way that draws attention to it by the very fact that in the midst of misery and suffering and, and the terrible things we see going on, we have a different experience of life. An experience that when people ask us, we need to be ready to explain. Not with an elaborate presentation, but just with the heartfelt truth of what has transformed our lives. With gentleness and respect. So where are you this morning? Are you a person who is looking for hope? Because if so, Jesus' resurrection is the only true and lasting hope in a hopeless world. If you're a person who has that hope, then the mission is clear to share it far and wide. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this incredible good news that your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, rose from the dead. But while this is a remarkable, this is astounding, unprecedented, there is so much more to this reality. Because he did these things, Lord, those of us who put our faith in him, we receive forgiveness of the things that we have trouble sometimes forgiving ourselves for. Because he rose to life, we will rise to life when we die. This is good news beyond any sort of thing that can even be imagined or comprehended. So, Lord, please do not let us take it for granted. Let us celebrate that today. Not just here, but as we depart. But, but Lord, we understand that this good news comes with a mission, a meaning in life. That there is far more to our life than what our society tells us there is. That there is a great significance, even as our culture tells us there's none. So, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be people who are transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Transformed and given the sense of significance and meaning that it means to have the Spirit of Christ within us. And the responsibility for sharing this great good news with those we encounter. Lord, Pray that you'll help us to be a faithful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.